I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John. We have been uh, working through this epistle of 1 John. And uh, just passage by passage, last week we were in verses 18 through 23 of chapter 2. And so this morning we pick up right where we left off in 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 29. My message this morning is simply called, entitled, Abiding. Um, because that's really the, the major theme in this passage, is abiding. You know, the, the book of 1 John, it's interesting, it's got several themes that, uh, that, that ebb and flow, that come and go, and sometimes they're strong and sometimes they're weaker, but over and over, John just brings these themes in. So sometimes there's this theme of obedience, that, that the, the one who knows God will obey His commandments. They, they will walk in a holy way, they'll walk in a righteous way. And uh, we've seen that already, and we will see that uh, again many times, that, that just God calls us to obey and keep His commandments as a sign that you indeed are a believer in Christ. Or uh, another theme, love. Right? Those who know God will love God and will love one another. Loving one another is really a sign that you are in Him. You see how you love one another, and you see you be encouraged by that or, or not. Uh, another theme is truth, is that, that those who know God will follow in truth. They will not be deceived, they will not turn astray, they will not go in wrong ways. The deceivers will come, but the true will, will stay. And, and, and those who aren't true may, may be sucked out of the congregation. And that's an evidence by which you know that you're saved. There's a theme of belief. Those who know God will, will believe and trust in Jesus. I mean, believing him means or knowing him means you're going to believe and trust. There are other smaller themes like light and darkness is contrasted. Light meaning the pure walk and darkness meaning the, the wicked walk. And those who know God will walk in light rather than in the darkness. There's this contrast between life and death. Those who know God are, are headed on the path to life. But those who don't know God are in the darkness. They walk in the darkness and they're on their path to death. There's also e- e- eternity and, and what passes away. So the, these, these contrasts come. And then they come often and uh, in, in difficult, in, in different times. It's what makes preaching so difficult through the book of First John. Because we've got the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. As we go through it passage by passage, I'm trying very hard just to not sound like, oh, yeah, he preached that message three weeks ago, or that was five weeks ago. We'll just, we'll just dig it up because it is fresh in the way that, that John says it. Well, this morning we pick up one of John's major themes, abiding. It occurs 20 times, this word abide, 20 times in the epistle of 1 John. So it's got five chapters, so 20 times. Help me, kids. 20 times in the book, five cha- How about how many times each chapter? Four. Good, thank you, Ethan. Four times. Um, and that's a lot for this small book. Uh, in, in our passage, even this morning, it occurs six times in six verses. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. Now, abiding, what, what this means comes from the Greek word meno, from which we, we get a little bit of the, the word remain. Men, remain, is, is the idea there. Um, so in fact, some translations use remain rather than this word abide. The, the idea is of, of being with, of, of dwelling with, of, um, of, of living with. I mean, when, when you think about this, picture a half household. Picture a happy household where, where brothers and sisters and parents are all living together in unity. That's what it means to abide. Not just be close proximity, but to be close and to be happy and to be harmonious. That's what it means to, to abide. 
picture people coming and spending the night in uh, happy times. Um, it describes close association, but when this word is used, it's normally not used in the, in, in the, the literal sense, but it's more used in the metaphorical sense, um, meaning that sometimes it's used to describe abiding or dwelling in God. Now, it's not that we, we go up into heaven and we sit down right next to God in our abiding, but there's this communion that we have between us and God that's abiding. When we are in harmony with God, when we're walking in His ways, when God is happy and we are happy, that's, that's what abiding is. Sometimes it's used to talk about abiding in the light. Now, you can't get in a light bulb, but what it means is light there is, is talking symbolically about the pure life. So abiding in a pure life, again, you can't, you can't get in a pure life, but it means a pure life is, is in you, you're in it, and you are walking in a pure, righteous way. Uh, sometimes it, it describes God's word abiding in us. And that basically means that we know God's word, like the spirit that indwells us, that is, that is in us. We know God's word. Um, sometimes it's just a, a synonym for living, like chapter 2, verse 17. Whoever does the will of God abides forever, that is, lives forever, but lives forever in happiness and in peace and harmony with God. Now, this isn't the first time that the word abide has come up. Uh, we, we've seen it before. If you turn back to chapter 2, verse 6. It's there, and we've kind of passed over it because though it's, it's somewhat difficult to define, it's easy to understand what it means. Chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So in other words, if you profess that I'm a follower of Christ, that I abide in God, that's what it means to be a, to be a Christian, is to abide in God. If you, walk, if you abide in him, you ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Um, or chapter 2, verse 10, we see it again. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him is no cause for stumbling. Right? So if you love your brother, there's an abiding that you, you have in the light, and you don't stumble in any way. That means you're walking in a righteous way. You're walking in a righteous path. Or, or chapter 2, verse 14, I, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. There's God's word abiding in you. And that's giving you back actually the strength so as to overcome the evil one. As God's word is in your heart and your mind. And I mentioned this already, but chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, lives and lives to the fullest in great harmony and peace with God. So it's not like we haven't seen this word before, but it's just coming in this passage with a with a great concentration. In chapter 4, verses 11 through 18, it's going to come with about the same concentration again. And we'll talk there about abiding, though a little bit different emphasis there. We're talking about more about abiding in love. So let's read our passage. I'm going to read just 24 through the end of the chapter. John writes, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I trust you see that abiding theme coming through six times in those 
those verses. In fact, three times in our first verse, verse 24 alone. In fact, this is this is where I get my first point here. Verse 24. Let the teaching abide in you. That, that's my long form. I'll, my short form would just say this. Abide in the teaching. So it's a matter of passive or active. And we'll see those are pretty much interchangeable. But here's what it is. It's how it starts. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. So what you heard from the beginning is the teaching. It's the gospel. Let the teaching abide in you. Let the gospel abide in you. Now, John is constantly bringing us back to the beginning. That's how the whole letter started in chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, if touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Right? That which we saw about Jesus, heard and touched, that's what we're going back to. Or, chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. And so he's talking about this old commandment that you've heard, this, this word that you've heard before. Let that abide in you. In other words, John's telling his readers to, to let the word that they have heard dwell in them. Let them think on it. Let them meditate on it. Let it just run through their minds. Let it sink deep into their souls. Let them feel it in their hearts. Let, let the teaching of the truth of the gospel find a home in your heart is really what he's saying. Let it, let it be there. Don't let it go. Let, let, it just, let it just encamp there. Now, there are, are lots of things that kind of come and go out of your mind. Um, take, for instance, the weather. I don't know how you get your weather, whether you get it on your, your app or whether you get it in the paper, whether you get it on TV. You don't keep the weather today like tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You, you long for God. It's, it's important for today so you know how to dress, whether you need your umbrella or where you, you need your coat. But beyond today, it's, it's gone. It's not abiding in you. And, and daily news also doesn't abide in you. Oh, you might read it. If you read a newspaper, you, you read it, or you read your website, you read it, and you remember it. But you don't abide in the news because it's not something that lives harmoniously in you that's, that's precious, that you just love and you long for, that you think upon day and night. Or, like, I think about, I think about jokes, Right? If someone just says, here, can you tell me a joke? Oftentimes I'm like, uh, okay. Um, I've got two standbys, okay. My first standby is this. You know what the frog says, right? Time's fun when you're having flies. You get it? You get it? That's like my standby. You ask me for a joke, you have to, like four years from now, if you ask me for a joke, that's the one I'm going to tell you because that's the... <laughs> And here, I just learned another one, which is kind of my standby. This one actually is, is two jokes. You ready? I, I want to tell you two jokes. One's a, one's a short joke and one's a long joke. You ready? Joke, joke. Get it? Short joke, long joke. Joke, joke. All right. Some of you, it'll, it'll get there. But those, like, okay, so think of another joke. I've got to, i got to, like, really, really start thinking about it because jokes don't abide in me. Now, if I was a comedian... And I stood on stage and I, I just made people laugh all the time. I'm sure I'd just have joke after joke after joke because that would be important for my job. I'd be abiding in, in me, but, but it's not. And I don't, I don't, so you just even think now, how many jokes? Can you say, oh, I could tell that joke or that joke or that joke. Now, some of you might be joke tellers, you got it. But some of you might be thinking, hmm, my joke. Or, or comic strips, right, that are kind of funny. They're, they're pleasant to look at, you know. And I say, what's your favorite comic strip? You might say, oh, a blondie is or, 
or um, you know some other far side or peanuts or something. But no, give me a specific cartoon that you remember that you really liked. It's kind of kind of hard because those just don't don't dwell in you. Oh, you you may have enjoyed it for the moment, but and you may remember it when you look back on it again. But it's not like you can pull it up and bring it up. The idea of abiding is being able to to bring it up of yourself apart from any external trigger that it just is so in you and it is so deep uh, abiding in you and it, and he's particularly talking about here what you've heard from the beginning he's talking about the the preciousness of the gospel that's just in you and is in your heart and is in your soul it just flows out you don't need a reminder because you're always reminding yourself of that it's something you you think about all the time and that's what we're commanded to do let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. At Kids Club, we've been memorizing Kids Club. For those who don't know, many visitors among us, just neighborhood kids that come by. About 10 kids that come twice a week. And we just, we're memorizing Psalm 1 with them. And uh, I think, it, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, there it is abiding, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. There he is, just the law of the Lord is his delight. He's meditating on it. He's thinking about it. And that's, that's the godly man, and that's the man that is blessed. And that's exactly what John is talking about here in verse 24, about God's word abiding in you. He's talking about meditating. He's talking about delighting on it day and night, right? Holding God's word, holding this message close and never letting it go. This point, how appropriate it is to press upon you all again, just the priority and the importance of scripture memory. Not like, oh yeah, I, I, oh I remember that story, or I remember that story, but to be able to pull these things up because you have them deep within you, because you can't, you you can't um, have God's word abide in you if you haven't got it in you, right? I mean that's the premise, right? God's word is is in you. And so it's got to be able to come out of you if it's abiding in you. And if it comes out of you, it means that it was in there in the, in the first place. Almost the definition of abiding. That it takes residence in your heart. And really the only way to do that is memorization. So have you memorized any verses this week in recent times? Just, uh, my, my week, I'm working on memorizing Second John. And I'm almost there. I'm starting on the Third John. And um, the fighter verse, we're in... Psalm 77 this week. I'm just kind of constantly just trying to, trying to take that and put that in my mind so I can meditate on those things. And, and it just takes a while. And the older you get, the longer it takes. You just got to keep working at it. Stephanie and I were working on Psalm 77 on the way to church, right? Well, how good, how good was I memorizing talking about that? Not so good. <laughs> it's okay. Right. She's being gracious there. Just kind of, again, just it's hard. It's hard. But... It's the importance of God's word abiding in you so that you, you put it out. But particularly here, I think the emphasis here is on the gospel. That, that just, 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 just the preciousness of Christ crucified abiding in us. So do you know it? Is the gospel second nature to you or not? Okay, I want to try something. We've never done this before at Rock Valley Bible Church. Just want you to take the person right next to you. I, I want to give each of you a minute. Okay, I just want to see whether God's word's in you, whether you can just kind of float out. And for one minute, I want one person just to tell the other person the gospel. Just That's what it says. Let it abide in you. It's got it's to come out. 
So maybe that's a verse you've memorized recently, or maybe that's a, a thought or a concept or some kind whatever. But that's the gospel should be inside of you. And I, I'll give you one minute one way, and then you just turn one minute the other way. It's kind of, kind of an impromptu test. So find your partner. You got your partner. Maybe it's three of you. Maybe one of you can take your time. I'm going to pull out my, my, my clock here. And this can be real, just, just real quick. I mean, I'm telling you, you only have one minute, and that's what you got to do. And then afterwards, we'll reflect upon that. So I've got my, my timer ready. Go! One to the other side. Go ahead. Okay, we can, uh, we can come back together now. That was kind of fun, huh? Now, okay, we can come back here. If you're not finished, that's okay. Just want you to reflect upon whether that was an easy thing or whether that was a hard thing. For some of you, that may have been incredibly easy. For some of you, that may have been incredibly hard. And, and there's probably a, a spectrum in between um, in, in terms of how, how good you are at that. or how. But, but I would contend mostly that if you found it to be an incredibly easy thing, it's probably because the gospel's in you and you're thinking about it, talking about it all the time. And there may be people here who found it incredibly difficult because they don't even know the gospel. That, that, that when I say, well, just share, they don't even know what to share. I, I don't know where all of us are. And maybe some children particularly, you don't, you don't really know how to articulate that. And, and I remember when my daughter was little, she was about three years old, my oldest daughter, and I asked her if she believed in Jesus. And her, her little heart said, a little. Because she knew a little and she believed a little is all that, that she had. And so that might be some maturity level with some of the kids. But it, it also might be as you grow up. But, but the idea is you can't share anything that you don't have. And it might just be head knowledge for you as you shared that. Is it just, oh, I've heard this gospel presentation before and here it is? Or is it something that's coming from the heart? You know, maybe for those of you who don't know the gospel, let, let me just, I, I've not rehearsed this, so it's not like I, I do it. But I might say something like this. Is it the gospel is about us and our wickedness. We're made in the image of God. And yet, Adam and Eve fell. And in their sin, they brought all of us into sin as well. And, and that sin has tainted us, that we're sinners by nature and by choice. And we are under the wrath of God because we go the wrong way. We don't, we don't do what God says. We don't think what God thinks. We, we travel the wrong path. And anyone can see how wicked they are. And maybe they don't see the ultimate wickedness of how, how bad they are. But, but we are. We are sinners and we need grace, we need help to stand before God. And, and that's where God, in His grace, brought a Redeemer. He brought Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come and die for our sins. That, that He, upon the cross, bore God's wrath in our place for us in our stead. And if I quote a verse, right? And by this we know love, First John 3.16, that, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he, he loved us by dying for us and, and spilling His blood for us on the cross to cleanse us from our sins so that we might, might be righteous before God. And, and that calls a response for us because if we, we know that, we'll respond. That we ought to love one another. Responding in love towards one another because of what Christ has done for us. Not, not because we're saved by our, our love, but because that's the natural response of who we are. And one who does believe in Jesus will show it and manifest it in their works and they will ultimately culminate in eternal joy and happiness with God. So that's, that's kind of something you might put there. And the, and the more you think about that, the more it will be on your heart, the easier that that will come. 
But these are the basics. It's good for us to get back because we stand right here on these things. First Corinthians 15:1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here, here, here's the gospel that you that you stand. If you don't stand here, Paul said, my time to you was an empty time. It was useless time because you didn't believe. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to many people risen from the dead, shown to be the one who conquered life. And we can trust him as the one who conquers life, that he is going to do that. And that's where we we stand. We stand right there on the gospel of Christ. And there is a danger, by the way. There's a danger of taking that gospel and then saying, okay, well, well, that's like the entrance message into Christianity, but now let's get on to the other stuff. And, and I've talked before about how um, you know, some people believe that you need to believe on Jesus as Savior first and then grow to accept him as your Lord. And just from 1 John, which we saw in, in recent days, that's just, that's just not the case, is that there's no two-stage Christianity. The message that we heard at first is the message that sustains us. The gospel that saves us is, as Paul says in Romans 1.16, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And there's reason to believe there that, that Paul is talking about he wants to preach to the church, Romans 1.15, and it's the gospel that's going to strengthen us until that final day. So the gospel is the message to save us. The gospel is the message to to keep us. And and there are those who might say, okay, well, we just assume the gospel and let's just go on. Let's just talk about how we live. Let's just talk about morality. And Paul says, no, 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 don't go on. John says, by the way, don't go on. Don't go forward. Don't 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 go on ahead missing the gospel. In fact, here's what I'm talking about. Go to second John verse nine. So I talked about memorizing. I was right here memorizing this this week and thought, oh, this is great text for ours right here. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So here's the teaching abiding, right? And you abiding in the teaching. That's my... First point here, right? Abide in the teaching. But look at, look at how clear this was. This is, everyone who goes on ahead, like to something else, and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ, doesn't have God. So you need to abide in the teaching of Christ and not, not go on ahead to something else which is outside the realm of the Scripture, probably. But it's whoever abides in the teaching as both the Father and the Son. This, is, this shows you how serious this is. Like, like, have you gone ahead? Have you gone on? Are you abiding in the, the teaching? This was the error of those in Galatia. I'm not sure if you know very well the epistle that Paul wrote to the Galatian believers. Galatia is like a region, like the Midwest. Okay, it's a region of churches, many churches there. And, and Paul writes this in the first chapter, verses 6 and 7. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There's really not, not another one, but there's some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there it is. Coming with the original message of the gospel, it's being distorted and some are following in that distortion. You say, well, what, what was that distortion? I mean, how, how is it distorted? Or, how, or John's phrase, how are they going on ahead? 
And uh, when you put some things together, I'm just going to take you the, the skinny notes of Galatians. We'll study that someday. But it, what it means is that, that they had this influence from the Jewish people. These were Jewish people who came to be Christians and they're mixing with Gentile people and they had to figure out, okay, what about, should we be circumcised? How much of the law shall we keep? And these people were going back into law saying some things like circumcision and law keeping, probably feasts and festivals, Probably dietary law. These things are necessary for a believer in Christ. Adding to the gospel. And Paul said in Galatians 3. It's not these requirements. You come to God by faith. You sustain your faith in God. You walk by faith. He says this. Galatians 3, 2. Let me now ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of a law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, beginning by faith, are you now being perfected by works? Right? Did you start one way and then deviate and go another way? You, you start by faith and then go the path of works. Did you start by faith and then go on? Second John verse 9. Uh, I think that's exactly what's happening here with, with John. Is that There's people persuading them away. Last week, we looked at the Antichrist that were coming to draw them away. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. They were Antichrists because they were anti-Messiah. They were against Jesus. They were, they were going on, going forward, going apart, going away from the gospel of Christ against Jesus. Now, in John's situation, I don't think they were going into legalistic Judaism. But I think that they were, and the reason I say that is because you don't see that at all here in John. If anything, John extols the law. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Uh, chapter 5, verse 3, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The commandments aren't burdensome. And so, so John is even saying, hey, the law is great and we should obey, we should obey the law. But I, I don't think he's talking about circumcision, those types of things. I think he's talking about just the moral law of God, the moral way that God would, would have us to walk, not the legal requirement. And, and, and the error you pick up in John's epistle here has more to do with the person of Christ, whether he's come in the flesh or not. There were those who were denying that, chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, the error was also sinful living. He said, oh, yeah, you can come to Jesus, but you can live however you want. And John continues, goes back and says, no, if you are a believer, you're going to walk in a righteous way. You're going to walk in a pure way. And there's an error also John's day about claiming special knowledge. Like, oh, I've, I've obtained this special knowledge of Jesus. And, and these deceivers have come. They've claimed their special knowledge and, and people have gone after them. And that was John's emphasis from last week, right? We saw 18 through 23 of chapter 2. Just you know the truth. Don't be persuaded by the Antichrist. Don't be persuaded when the apostasy comes, they take you away. Don't be persuaded when, when people leave your fellowship because you've got this anointing. You know about this anointing and this anointing teaches you about everything and you don't need anyone to teach you. But you just stay on with what you've heard from the beginning. So I ask you, verse 24, is what you heard from the beginning abiding in you? Is the gospel abiding in you? Are you abiding in the teaching? Are you abiding in the gospel? You know, it's not without accident that Paul told Timothy, he's a, a mature man in his ministry, young in his ministry, but he says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Of all the different things he gives, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, of all the pastoral instructions he gives, he says, remember Jesus. 
I don't think it's without accident that Paul, when he came into Corinth, he said, when I was with you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and crucified. Meaning, I, I didn't mean to know anything except the foundation of the cross of Christ, the foundation of the gospel. That has lots of implications, but it all comes back to that. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Second John chapter 2, verse 9 speaks of those who go on ahead, don't abide in this teaching. How important is it for us to abide in the teaching? This, this is our only path to God. Look at verse 24 again. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, that is, if the gospel is in you and if you're abiding in it, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so I talk about that's what salvation is. It's us, it's us abiding in the Godhead. Abiding in Jesus. Abiding in the Father. Spirit abiding in us. We are with God in harmony. The path to God, path to abiding in God, is God's word abiding in us. So what's his word? Well, I think he gives us a, a short sentence here. That's why verse 25 comes up here. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. This is the word that he's talking about. The promise. You have eternal life. I trust you remember, I've mentioned it almost every message in John. The, the purpose of 1 John comes in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is written to professing believers. They might know that they have eternal life. And here it comes in verse 25. Here's the promise that God has made. He's promised us eternal life. Now that's in contrast to this world. Chapter 2, verse 17. The world, it says, is passing away. It's, it's, it'll be done. But God's... Word stands forever, and the life that we have will be forever if we are in Christ. See, the world's a fleeting place. Its, fle- its pleasures are going to pass away. But God has promised us something better than life here on earth. He's promised us eternal life, verse 25. And that we saw that in chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's the promise, forever life, eternal life. And this is the message that they had heard from the beginnings, right? Death, death comes through sin, but life comes through Christ. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And eternal life comes through faith in His Son. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's truly live through Him. Or live forever through Him. It's the promise. It comes... Through Jesus. Is this not what the most famous verse of the Bible says? God so loved the world, help me, that he gave his, help me, only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's life eternal. This is the fundamental promise that God gives to those who believe in him is life beyond this life. Happy life with God in your presence is pleasures forever. Psalm 16 verse 11 it's the promise. And now there, there were people trying to persuade them away. These are some themes last week where John is kind of bringing them up, wrapping them to a close. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There were deceivers in John's day. There were deceivers in our day. There have been deceivers throughout all of history trying to pull people away from that solid message that they had from the beginning. So if someone comes to you, particularly children I'm looking at you, if someone comes to you and says... Oh, you can't get to heaven by believing in Jesus. They might say, because you need to do more. 
Or you don't have to go through Jesus. You can go through other paths to God. Aren't there lots of roads to God? You should say, it's not true. And identify them as a deceiver as you stand on on the word of God. Someone comes and and tells you this better way. Now say, I've got the way. I've been told from the beginning. A great illustration of this is Pilgrim's Progress. You remember, uh, many of you have read it. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. From what I understand, the, the, the book most read in the world ever is the Bible, and the second book most read is Pilgrim's Progress. It would be good for you to read that book. Parents, read that for your children. There are some, uh, some uh, short versions of that. It's a great, but, but early on, Christian's got this burden on his back. And he's, he's got his sin and he's, he's burdened and he, needs to, he doesn't know how to deal with it. And then a man named Evangelist comes and tells him, well, go to the wicked gate. And there you can deal with your burden, at the, uh, burden right there at, at the gate. So there's a small gate straight ahead. Go towards that gate. And as, as Christian's going along, one, one guy he meets, he meets a lot of guys in the way, but one guy he meets is this man called Worldly Wiseman. Worldly Wiseman is wise according to the world. He kind of mocks Christian for thinking that the wicked gate is the way he should go. He says, no, 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 go, go up this way. Go up, go up the mountain. And so Christian was persuaded away. And, and worldly wise men pulled him off the course, and he went up this hill, which is like going up Mount Sinai, trying to be justified by the, the Ten Commandments, and he found it hard. It was only when evangelists came again, told him the same message you've had from the beginning, go towards the wicked gate. And he said, oh, what a foolish man that I am. And then he got back on his course, and he went, straight to Christ. And we got there, he looked at the cross, saw his burden fall off his back and into the tomb. And he was given new clothes, clothed in righteousness of Christ. And he continued his struggle journey on as he went to the celestial city. But just as Christian was diverted from the straight and narrow, so likewise we can be diverted from the straight and narrow as well. I mean, how many children grow up in church hearing the precious gospel only to turn away? Turn away from deceivers disguised as friends. Disguised as professors or teachers. Or disguised as music or movies. Or some other kind of media that just suck kids away. And children, we've got many children here. I'm just telling you, know what's right and know what's wrong, and it's the old gospel message you've heard from the beginning, which is right. If you're persuaded away from it, don't go, because that's a deceiver, and that's a, a liar. But you don't need to be deceived, because we looked at last week, similar theme here about this anointing, verse 27. But even though these people are trying to deceive you, the anointing that you've received from him abides in you. So this anointing abides, Right, which is really the spirit, which is really the, the teaching, which is really the, the truth of God. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. So this anointing is this teaching. You don't need people to teach you. Because as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as taught you, abide in him. Because this anointing, you, you will be protected. You believe and trust in Christ. You, you, you'll be able to sniff error if you're believing in Christ. It's what the idea of this, about this teaching that abides in us. And, and what does it do? It teaches us to abide in Jesus. Not any other way. And don't let anyone persuade you any other way. And, and really, that last, those last three words of verse 27, 
form my next point. We've seen abide in the teaching, and now we're talking about abiding in Him. Just as it's taught you. So, so as we let God's Word abide in us, you say, okay, so what does that teach us? It teaches us to abide in Him. And the fact, the command comes in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Now, we're going to pick up next week, right in verse 28. But I just want to catch that phrase, abide in Him, kind of link it to our, our message this morning, because the message next week is going to talk about just what it means a little bit. It means about, first of all, how, how it means that we live in a life of no shame, that we are we're ready for His return, that we are our house is in order, that we're complete and ready for the inspection to come. We're, we're ready. And we'll talk about that more next week, because, verse 29, we're, we're walking in righteousness. Right, right now I want to talk about what abiding in Jesus looks like. We've seen what abiding in the teaching looks like. I want to talk about what abiding in Jesus looks like. And the best place to do that is to go to John 15, where Phil read for us this morning. And I'm not going to do a lot of exposition here, just only brief comment here at the beginning of the chapter. But it shows you what it means to abide in Jesus. Chapter 15 of John. You can turn over there, because we'll just stay here. We're not going back to 1 John. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. There's the picture, right? A vine. Grapes are coming off of that, is who Jesus says that I am. And he says the, va- the father is kind of taking care of that vine. And then we are like branches in that vine, connected to that vine. And that's the picture you should think about when you think about abiding in Jesus. Think about a, a plant. Think about a tree. Think about where the root is the very thing that's supporting all the branches. Every branch, verse 2, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so you use that in the language of John. It's, it's those who are bearing fruit, who are walking in righteousness, who are walking in the light, who are walking in purity, who are walking in obedience, who are walking in love, who aren't deceived, who are following the, the true Jesus. That's going to prune you so that you bear more of that fruit. But if that fruit isn't existent, like you're walking in the darkness, you are, are not loving your brother, you're hating your brother. It says in 1 John 3 that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If, if that's where you are, you'll be cut off. You won't, you won't be there. So how important it is that we abide in him is the picture here. Already you are clean because the word that I've spoken to you. Again, John 15, verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you. And we see this reciprocal nature. Is it the teaching that abides in us? Yes, and we abide in the teaching. Now Jesus here abides in us and we abide in him because abiding just means this happy harmony between two entities. And here it is, happy harmony between us and Christ. We're abiding in him and, and he is us. And, and here's, here's some implications of what it means. It means as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You, you, you take a, a, a branch from your apple tree and you put it and lay it aside and you expect you know, all the winter long it comes and then it's going to bear forth apples next year? It's not going to happen. It's got to be connected to the apple tree. The grapes need to be connected to the vine. And so likewise, in order for us to bring forth this fruit that is true and genuine, we need to abide in Jesus. We need to be connected to Christ. And we are connected through the gospel. Verse 5, again, he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me 
And whoever I abide in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And just there's the key is that, that if we abide in Christ, he's going to produce fruit in our lives. And that's what First John is talking about. It's the fruit that comes from your life. That evidence is whether you are connected to the vine. And if you're not connected to the vine, there won't be that any fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Do, do you live that way? That apart from Christ, you can do nothing? It's how important this abiding is. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, again, he's producing no fruit. He's, he's not truly connected to Jesus. He looks like a branch, but he's really not a branch. He is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. They're just talking about the destiny of those who don't abide in Christ. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and there it is, exactly what we're talking about here. Abide in Christ, abide in the teaching, right? They're, they're, both, they're both there. If that takes place, then we see prayer being answered ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you because we're so connected to god that we have victory in prayer by this is father glorified verse 8 that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples and there again is the is how you 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 look at fruit and that gives an indication what the branch is like you know a tree by its fruit that's the message of john in first john what kind of fruit are you bearing that shows you whether you're genuine or not Whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments, a liar, the truth is not in him. I don't care what you say. It's what you do. It's what you're producing. It's what 1 John is, is about. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So how do we abide in the love of God? Understanding Christ's love for us, the cross. Loving him. But a, a way that John speaks in First John a lot. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love. See, the, the keeping of the commandments, again, are there. This is the love of God, First John 5, 3. That you keep His commandments, the commandments aren't burdensome. So, so, so loving is keeping His commandments, obeying Him, walking in His way. First John 4, it's verse 21. This commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, right? There's the commandment that he gave. Right? You, whoever believes in God will keep his commandments. There's that, that connection, and it's, it's fruit, it's evidence. And so if you see that evidence, be assured and, and delight in the fact that you say, yes, I've got eternal life because I'm in the vine. He's producing fruit in my life. Verse 11, last verse in John 15 we're going to look at. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, I'm not speaking these things to your sadness. I'm speaking these things to your joy. When you walk with Christ and when you do His will, there's no greater joy upon the earth that you'll know. A good illustration of that, a good illustration of abiding, a good il- comes in a, in a little booklet. You know, I, I searched on the internet, I saw it's like four pages long. It's, uh, it's this story written by Robert Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. Maybe you know this story. Maybe not. But it speaks about what it means to abide. It talks about Christ abiding in my home. Me symbolically talking about Christ abiding in my heart. And here's what he, he, he pictures Jesus coming to visit his home. And his home is really his heart, my heart, Christ's home. And I'm going to kind of summarize it. I thought about reading the whole thing to you. It's powerful, but it'll take whatever 
15 minutes or so. I just want to summarize it for you. But Jesus comes to Robert Munger. First, he goes into the library where Mr. Munger was delighted. Show him all the books. Look at all the things that I have that I'm reading and that I'm thinking about. That's what the library represents, what I'm thinking about. And Jesus looked at the books and the magazines and he says he wasn't impressed. For there are many things in his mind that weren't pleasing to God. And Jesus told him, take all the things you're reading and looking at that aren't helpful or pure or good or true and throw them out. And now put on the empty shelves the book of the Bible. And so they proceed from the library to go to the dining room. That's symbolic of the appetites and the desires. Someone's heart. And Mr. Munger served Jesus some of his favorite dishes. Money and academic degrees and stocks with articles, uh, newspaper articles of, of fame and fortune and, and side, um, side dishes uh, of, of the things of the world. And to his great concern, Jesus wasn't eating any of it. And Jesus said, listen, if you want food that really satisfies you, seek the will of the Father, not your own pleasures, not your own desires, not your own satisfaction. Seek me, please, seek to please me, and that food will satisfy you. And so Jesus gave him some of that food. And he tasted it. He said, what flavor? There's no food like it in all the world. It alone satisfies. Everything else is dissatisfying in the end. There's the food. And so it went, went from the, uh, the library to the dining room. Well, it was the living room, right, where, where you live. And it was a comfortable, quiet room filled with overstuffed chairs and a sofa. And Jesus promised, I will meet you in this room every single day. And at first, Mr. Munger met faithfully with him, beginning of every day. But because of the busyness of life, began to neglect that duty. And um, convicted in his heart, he said, Jesus was my guest and here I am neglecting him. When he came to Jesus, confessed his sin, Jesus forgave him and reminded him of the importance of daily fellowship. Just come in. Just come in again and be with us. And from the living room, went to the workroom. We had a workbench, some equipment. And Mr. Munger confessed that while he would play around with his gadgets, he wasn't producing anything substantial or worthwhile. It's just stuff that would fade away. But then Jesus said, it's only when he relaxed his hands. And, and, and let Jesus move his hands. The spirit of Jesus would move them and begin to make some really nice things. Again, there's the, the John 15, verse 6, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but you just trust me and, and your work becomes precious and valuable. And then they went to the rec room. Well, they started going to the rec room, but he didn't want Jesus to see his associations and friendships, his activities and amusements. And so he made some excuse why he couldn't go to the rec room. And so they passed that. And then they were in the hallway. And Jesus began to smell a peculiar odor. He says, there's something dead around here. It's upstairs, I think. I think it's the hall closet, is what Jesus said. And Mr. Munger said this. He said, I knew what he was talking about. Yes, there was a small closet up there on the landing, just a few feet square. And in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things I didn't want anyone to know about and certainly did not want Christ to see. And then he said of this allegorical closet, Mr. Munger said, I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from my old life. And yet I loved them and I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit that they were there. And so after a bit of reluctance, he turned the key over to Jesus 
and confessed that he didn't have the strength to clean the closet himself. And Jesus said, just just give me the key. Authorize me to take care of your closet and I'll take care of your closet. He walked over, Jesus did, opened the door, entered it, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there, threw it away. And he cleaned the closet. He painted it, fixed it up, doing it all in a moment's time. Mary Poppins, if you will, cleaning up the nursery. It was a relief to Mr. Munger who said, Oh, what a victory release I have from that dead thing. And then as my life continued on, and here's kind of the crux of what he's saying, my, my heart, Christ's home. He says, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clear for Christ. I start in one room and no sooner have I clean that than another room is dirty. I begin in the second room and then the first room becomes dusty again. I'm so tired and weary to maintain a clean heart and obedient life. I'm just not up to it. And he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, is there any chance that you'd take over the responsibility of this whole house and operate it for me with, with this just like you did that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life where it ought to be? And Jesus replied, certainly. This is what I came to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. It's impossible. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. And then it story closes with Mr. Munger giving the title deed of the house to Jesus, deeming it to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're no longer just a guest in our house. You are the, the very owner and Lord of the house. And then the story finishes with this. These things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and made his home in my heart. And so I just ask you when you think about abiding, right? are you abiding in the teaching are you abiding in Him? Is, is He in your heart? Is He residing in your heart? Is there purity there because Christ has worked it? Or do you have your closet someplace you're not willing to deal with? It's really the question for us. So we're abiding in Him because we abide in Him. Our fruit will be evident, obvious to all, and then we can have confidence that we have eternal life. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that... So we've reflected upon what it means to, to abide, what it means to dwell, what it means to be connected with you. I pray you would, you would teach us of this communion, what it means to commune with you in prayer, what it means to know your truth through your word, what it means to walk in the Spirit, uh, that we would not carry out the desires of the flesh, but that we would see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in us. And that the enmities and bitterness and strife and quarrels would go from us as we are ever trusting in you and abiding in you. Oh God, help us to apply these things this week. God, may these things be on our mind as we think about what it means to, to abide in your teaching. I, I pray for our church family here that we would be memorizers of scripture, that the gospel would be right on our minds all the time. God, that we'd be those also who walk with you. God, who know you and love you and serve you. God, that you would give us all, as is the, the purpose of 1 John, God, just a uh, assurance that we have eternal life. God, help the doubting heart. God, if the preaching through 1 John has given undue doubt, Lord, oftentimes it's a sign that, that really they are there. They just have a sensitive heart. So we, we pray that you'd comfort that heart. And, and Father, for the heart that's hard, that is not seeing these things, but yet saying, I am true, I am true. God, I pray you'd convict that heart. That perhaps today might be a day of, of repentance that people would turn to you and trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. 
Thank you for your word, how it illumines and how it lightens. May we walk always according to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.